Hey everyone, this is Siobhan with the Creative Outsiders, where we connect the dots for women filmmakers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. For creatives, by creatives, location locked. Wish you could find production staff that's professional and easy to work with? Do you lose a lot of time trying to find the perfect location? Then you'll love Location Lock, a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace that offers filmmakers and content creators like yourself the opportunity to book locations and services needed for your next big project or event. Location Lock can also help spread the word about your next open photography session or casting call. It's a win-win. Visit LocationLock.com today and get started. And today I have the privilege of sitting down and chatting with Jillian. And I can't wait because I know she's going to have so many gems that are going to help us go out there and not just talk about it, but be about it. So welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. So if you have not listened to the show, I am such a research junkie. And I take okay. joy in being able to go and research and find out about people. So don't be surprised if I have some questions and you're like, Siobhan, you really were digging back in the crates. <laughs> okay, no problem. My life's um, an open book. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, while I was doing research, because I do like to always see where people initially started. And I saw mm -hmm. that you worked for the Wall Street Journal. So do right. you think in any capacity that helped you propel your career as a filmmaker? Well, that helped me propel, propel, propel my writing skills because you're a reporter and you have to do a lot of research, you have to do a lot of interviews, you have to also, of course, you have to write great. Uh, and I think that helped me uh, do screenwriting, which I love. That's my first and foremost. I'm a screenwriter, a writer. Author, uh, I'm I'm strongest in that area. Um, so yeah, in, in that way, yeah, it definitely did help me uh, propel my my um, career. Definitely. And you said that screenwriting is your first love. So how how did you then pivot from writing for the Wall Street Journal to then saying, okay, I'm gonna write a script? Because I know a lot of women get stuck there, like they have a good idea, but they don't know exactly where to start. Well, I actually went to school. I went to LaSalle University and I majored in communications and part of the communications curriculum was film. So we had to do a certain amount of screenwriting courses, we had to do a certain amount of film courses, editing courses, and my strength was, again, in writing, so that's why I started. So while I was in college, um, you know, we had to write a short script, and, um, and that helped propel me again to say, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Uh, and I, I, over the years, I've taken more classes and more workshops because you always are learning um, style and character development and, uh, you know, definitely how you have to have Act one, act two, act three. It's a, it's a process like anything else. If you want to be great at it, you have to continue to study your craft. And that's what, what I do even to this day, even though I consider myself now an expert and it, I actually teach me writing, but I still, I still take classes and I still take workshops because I always want to be the best. And I, I think that's a good thing that you said too, that even at the place that you're at right now that you still are investing in your craft. So I, I'm glad that you said that because I think that 
sometimes as creatives, we get complacent and we don't mm-hmm. necessarily go any further than where we initially started. Right. It's, it's an ongoing process of journey of learning. And through that, you still have to go to workshops, take classes, read books, you know, whatever that helps you become stronger in, in your whatever discipline that you're trying to focus on. No matter what it is, um, it's, it's always room for growth. Absolutely. And I'm glad, so just to go back a little bit, I saw that you interned on Spike Lee's movie, Malcolm X. First, Mm -hmm. tell us how you were able to get the internship, and then I'll follow up with another question. Uh, Well, I was at the fair, I was in my senior year. Uh, My film teacher put a notice out that Spike Lee's company, 40 Acres in the Mill, was hiring, you know, looking for interns for Malcolm X. And then if you wanted to apply, you could apply through the school. And then the film teacher had to give you a letter of reference. Uh, my teacher did. And then as you submit everything, your essay, why you wanted to be a filmmaker, what you think you could get out of it, learn, all that stuff. So I submitted it. I got a letter uh, like a month or so later from the production company saying we would like to invite you to be an intern. And then that's how I got my, my foot in the door. And then tell us about your experience of actually interning. What were you responsible for being able to do during that process? Okay, well, in reality, uh, people may not know, interns are the lowest on the totem pole. Uh, this is the way it is. <laughs> they do all the they do the grunt work. Um, sometimes they're called gophers, and gopher means go for this, go for that, which means you're fetching stuff. Uh, you need coffee. You need this, you need that. Whatever they need, that's usually your job as an intern. And it's, you, you get your foot in the door because you're on a set. You get a credit. You get references. It's a stepping stone for a next project. And, you know, you still have to work hard. They don't pay you. They don't pay you as an intern normally. So you have to be willing to sacrifice a whole lot to, to, to do the job and do it well. So do you think that during that time frame of you interning, were you able to see any filmmaking get done? Were you able to pick up any, like, I guess, tips? Because I know, like, yes, the intern, you are going here and you're going there and you're basically a hands for everybody. But did mm-hmm. you make any connections that people were able to pour into you at that moment? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're good, you know, you you can still watch when they're filming. You don't really have to be doing anything because they're filming. They don't really need you at that time. So you can, you are allowed to stand around as long as you stay out the way and just observe how production works. And I I was able to do that, which again it taught me it taught me as a filmmaker things that I would do on my set and things I would not do on my set. So you know that's how you have to learn to be your own kind of director, which you know I am. And it was a good experience in learning how to develop into the director that you want to be. And I'm glad that you two also mentioned about, you know, the director that you would want to be. So as someone who has also acted before, how has this assisted you as a director? Well, you know, being an actor as well as a director, it helps me to understand the mindset of actors because I'm, I mean, I act too. So um, that gives me more of an insight into how they think, how they uh, feel the emotions that they have to go through, especially if it's a very pivotal scene and they have to cry or they have to be angry. That takes a lot of, from an actor to channel that those emotions and to be able to do it well and then be able to come back down once I say cut and be okay that they don't get so involved in the character that they can't 
regress and go back to the person that they are. Some actors are like that. They're method actors to the point where they stay in character the whole time, like Daniel Day-Lewis. He stays in that character, whatever character he's doing, the whole time throughout production. And some actors do that, but I try not to let my actors do that because I think it just takes too much emotion from them, too much emotional strain and stress on them if they can't come out of that, that character. So how do you think that you have grown from when you first started as a director and how you are today? Well, when I, to be honest, when I first started out directing, I was very impatient because <laughs> um, I was new. I didn't understand um, all the things that I should and should not do myself. And a lot of times I was very impatient. A lot of times I would, I would get upset when I shouldn't get upset, you know, uh, when people weren't doing things they were supposed to do. Actors can't hit their mark right or they, they're not getting the lines correct. And I would get really upset. Now I'm more mellow. You know, I am still, I'm very stern, um, but I'm also very understanding. And, and I understand that it takes time. Like it's been, if you have to go into a deep um, character mood as far as, uh, like I said, crying or something like that. You know, I understand it, it takes some time to actually get to that spot and you have to give them that space to be able to do that and, to, and so they can do it well. Um, I also learned that uh, you know, sometimes you have to look at active ad lib a little bit when you're writing. I used to be very strict on it that you're going to say every word I say on my script, <laughs> and that's it, you know. Um, but I learned to be flexible, and because sometimes they come out with a gem that's better than what I wrote, so I have to be more mindful of that. So I let them uh, say, you know what, can we try it this way? And I'm saying, sure, let's, let's try it that way. As long as it's, it's still within the realm of the character and what the character's about, I, I don't mind as long as it's also in the budget because, you know, if they want to do 10 takes or something and we don't have the budget, but for three takes, then you're not doing 10 takes. You just can't do it. So you have to think about all these things as a director. And I know that you have done documentary film as well as narrative. So how do you approach those two differently? Do you have a different process for both of those? Well, well, yeah, for a documentary, you know, everything is, it should be real and it should be truthful. Uh, you know, you get a lot of leeway, of course, with fictional uh, material when you do a documentary. And, you know, you have to do, uh, I think you have to do far more research with a documentary because it is, like, basically truth. And um, I think it takes longer to do a documentary. So I only did one in my lifetime. I probably, I'm not saying I would never do another one, but I prefer <laughs> a narrative uh, fiction story. Uh, it gives me more leeway, more flexibility, and more creativity. And then, okay, so I know that you also are a screenwriting judge or have been a screenwriting judge. Mm -hmm. So where do you see that screenwriters like newbies or even people who are kind of a little bit more seasoned, that they're having difficulty? Like, where do you see that there's an issue or where we can be better? Let me not say issue, where we can be better <laughs> as a screenwriter. Well, well, with new, with new, new writers, I, I can tell that, who doesn't study their craft, who, who does not put the time in, you know, they don't have the script formatted correctly. Um, there's a lot of grammatical errors. There's a lot of um, format errors. And that does annoy me. That that really does annoy me because I say if you truly want to do your craft, you, you have to take the time and be uh, willing to do the work. You have to put the work in. It's not just, hey, I can slap these words up here and just send, send it in. That's not going to work. You know, and also I see that a lot of people do have um, – problems with character development. They don't understand it, uh, the three-act structure. They don't understand that a lot of times. Again, this comes to, you know, studying your craft, and a lot of people don't do that. So, 
you know, I, I don't like to put too much time into someone who, who is wasting my time because I'm busy. And I feel as though if you're going to come to me either in the contest or if you come to me that you want me to be a script actor on your script, as a script actor, it's not my job to totally revamp your script, is to just tweak it and make it a little better here, a little better there, and give you some notes on how you can improve it. But if it's like really off the chain, off what it's off filter, <laughs> totally, I, w- I won't even, I don't want to even take it. I'll just send it back and say, you know, you, you have to go study your craft. Right. I mean, that makes sense because like you said, you are busy and I think too, it just, it's easier to help somebody that you know has invested time in what they say that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that when I do see a great, somebody sends me a script and it's a great script, they might have just need some little tweaking here and there. That's fine. Everybody does that. No script is perfect. But I, I, it gives me a joy to see a, a person that I know really put time and effort into studying their craft and really put time and effort into writing a great screenplay. Absolutely. So I know that you have a production company and I always like to ask people that do have them, like what made you decide that this is something that you want to do? Like you want to own your own production company? Well, my, my company, there's a lot of different film and video production companies, but mine is an in-house production company. and People don't understand the difference. Some people you have production companies, but you can hire them out. Mm-hmm. to do uh, different projects like okay they might call you and say hey we got a project can you direct it I, I only do in-house projects which means I only do projects that I write and I learned that from other filmmakers who did that as well they just did something I mean a lot of scripts they they wrote themselves and then they say okay I'll direct it okay. so that's me I, I'd rather I'd rather not deal with like again back to scripts that aren't ready or or they're not developed yet so I, I, I want to do that and, and build from that and eventually have my own, I have a production company, but, you know, I would like to have my own studio as well. That would be even greater. Yes. I, I think that's such a great thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's such a great thing. So I do want to ask you about a sense of purpose and fighting for our lives. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Right. A sense of purpose fighting for our lives is a, is a, a, a film that I wrote. Um, I started doing research oh, about four years now, uh, four years ago, is about um, military sexual assault. And I was in the Army, so it's not like I was bashing the military. It's just that I want people to realize that it's an epidemic that's going on in the military, that women and men are being sexually assaulted or raped and is basically swept under the rug and not enough attention is given to it, even with the Me Too and Time's Up movements that are going on. It really doesn't. Uh, focus as much on the military as it should, and it, it really should because the military is the largest employer in the world, and you have, you have soldiers all over the world. So that's how I wrote it, but I also wrote it from two perspectives of the female who was raped by a commanding officer, and I also wrote it from his perspective of, you know, why is he like that? You know, you, you don't see that in the films. You don't see that perspective. You'll see the victim's perspective. Mm-hmm. But I did. I wanted to do a twist to make it different and focus on him as well, what, what happened in his life that made him turn out to be this person, you know? Uh, to me, that was the deeper, the deeper part of the movie, so. I think that's really good, though. I like that you are doing it from his perspective as well, because like you said, that you don't usually see that. You do see it from the victim, so I think that's a really good idea. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And Tamara Wood, she plays the lead female in it. Um, she was in the Air Force in real life. So 
so you know, military veterans. <laughs> and John Quinlan plays the uh, commanding officer, Captain Nixon. Very difficult roles for both of them, you know, because again, John had to go into a place that he's not. He's not a rapist, you know. He's not an evil right. person, but he had to come off like that in 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 the movie. Um, he was a complex character because you know he had to go from being a rapist and an evil person to someone who is the other side. We see the other side of him, what happened to him, and now he's vulnerable. And, you know, we see that side when he's crying and he's upset and he comes to grips with what he's done in his life and why. And Tamara, she's in the movie, she has to become, you know, a rape victim. You know, um, in the military, she had a very pleasant experience in the military, so that didn't ever happen to her. But she had to portray that character and she did it really well. So I know that you also, before we, I, I don't want to switch from that, but I know you are work, working on a new project, A Cup Full of Crazy. But before we talk about mm-hmm. that, how then, because this is another thing that comes up is funding. Like, how are you finding funding for your projects? Are you self-funding? Are you doing, um, raising money? Like, how are you funding your projects? Well, you know, as independent filmmakers, you know, that's what we do. You put up part of your money. You go to uh, the crowdfunding programs. You do it. I, I had a couple of investors for us, um, a sense of purpose, money for your lives. I'll do the same with a couple of crazy. The budget is bigger on this one, but still, it's independent. And, you know, you have to get out there and really hustle. It's a, it is a business that you have to hustle. A lot of people don't want to do that side of the work. They don't want to do the business side, but that unless you, you can write your own check there for your film, these are things you have to do. We have fundraisers. You had like three or four fundraisers. Um, so you do what you got to do to get it get to get it done. Because um, each film gets you closer and closer to the time when you don't have to do that. When you can just go to a studio and say, "Listen, I need five ten million dollars to do this film." They're like, "Okay," because you've proven yourself right. with your other independent films. You've proven yourself, so they can see you have a track record that you've come in with a couple of good movies, and they're willing to take a chance on you. So how have you been able to stay consistent in the proving process? Because I think that's where people get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, you have to, I, I do, you have to do other things to, that they can see that you're strong in your craft. And this is why I'm a film uh, judge for the Philadelphia Film Office. This is why I'm a screenwriting uh, instructor. I've sold a couple of scripts in my career. Um, they look at all that. You know, this is what they look at. And they see, you know, what you were able to accomplish. They look at your prior projects, they see if you won any awards, um, you know, and, and then you go from there. But you have to have a you have to have a track record before they're gonna give you any big money. So then how did you put yourself for people who don't know, like, okay, say I'm a screenwriter, wrote my script and I wanna sell it. Like take us through that process of how you were able to sell your script. Well, again, you have to be very strong writing. You you have got to probably get, you have to get, I'm not going to say probably, you must get someone who's a professional to read your script. You can't let your friends read it, your mother read it, because they don't know the business. So you have to go to someone who knows the business and let them read your script. You got to pay. They're not going to do it for free. This is their job. And then they'll give you notes on it. They'll give you notes on your script, what's good, what's not so good, what's bad. And then you can't be... Uh, taking things personal and get upset about it. You have to say this is helpful, helpful criticism is going to make my script stronger. And once you do that, I mean, I tell people normally to get to a really great script, you're rewriting at least 10 to 15 times, maybe 20. But people don't think that. They say, I'll do one a couple of times, maybe three or four, and it's done. Nope. 
nope, doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. So, because you really want, when you send your stuff out to uh, an agent, because you try to get an agent first, and you want them to have no reason to say no to you. You want them to say, wow, this is really excellent. We need this person um, to find this person. Or a, another great way is to submit it into film festivals. Um, you win a film festival, a major film festival, normally they have agents who you're going to meet with. Normally that's part of the package of winning. And then um, once you meet with them and you pitch your story and they read your script, they love it, and you're on your way. Right. And then as far as the pitching process, because I talked about it too in the episode before with a couple of ladies, um, do you have any tips as far as the pitching process? First of all, you have to know your script inside and out because they're going to ask you a lot of, if they like it, they're going to ask you a lot of different questions. But your pitch should be no more than a minute. You know, like a, like they say, your elevator pitch. Like if you're giving, going to the ground floor up to the top floor, you might have a minute to pitch. And, and in that time, you, you better know how to do your log line. And a lot of people have to learn what a log line is and how to write a log line, how to say what a log line is. And then if, they, if they're very interested, then they'll say, tell me more. And then you have to be ready to tell them a little bit more about your, your, your script. And another thing that people don't realize is a lot of times, sometimes they may not like their script you pitch, but then they'll say, what else you got? Nine times out of ten, a person doesn't have another script in their mind. And mm-hmm. that's where they blow it. That's where they blow. So before you approach an agent, you need to have at least five or six scripts under your belt like written, like well-written, have somebody look at it, somebody professional to look at it first, not just one or two. Because a lot of times you go in and they're like, nah, we're not really doing that. No, nah, we're not doing that. What you got? What else you got? And you got to be ready to pitch the next one and the next one. That's good advice. And I like even that you said that about having an arsenal of other scripts that you have written. That is one thing, oh my gosh, when I was in school for my um, MFA, that... Mm-hmm. Well, my master's, I'm sorry. He, like, my mentor was like, look, girl, <laughs> you mm-hmm. have, like, a Rolodex of work. Mm-hmm. And he would get after mm-hmm. me. So then I'll ask you, then how do you juggle? Because you do wear a lot of hats. Like, you're writing. You are directing. You are working on multiple projects. How are you juggling? And then how are you maintaining your mental health? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you're just so, well, at least I am. Most independent filmmakers are just used to wearing all these hats because you have no choice. <laughs> you know, you're writer, director, producer. You might act in the movie. Um, it's, we're used to it. It's like Tyler Perry does it all the time. Um, he does everything. And it's just the way, that's just the way it is. And he doesn't have to do it at this point in, in his career, but he still does. You know, Medea is a prime example. Write, direct, produce, you know, act, whatever. So it's just natural. You just do it because, first of all, it's what you love to do. It's what your dream is. It's your career. So you just do it. My mental health, I do, you know, I'm a, I'm a mixed martial arts fighter. So, you know, to me, getting in the gym, fighting or lifting, you know, I teach kettlebell classes. You know, I do boot camp. I do yoga. To me, these all things that it's work. It's still, it's still work. Some people are like, that's, that's work too, you know. Um <laughs> You know, getting in there, punching and kicking people and being slammed to the ground. But to me, it's it's work, but it's fun, and it helps me relax. This is my way I relax. And um, I do yoga. I do yoga like four four times a week. Um, that definitely helps me. My meditation in the morning at 4 a.m. when I get up, um, that helps calm me down for, and get me ready for the day. 
So yeah, these are things I do, and I also each night I I have a book. You know, one book I read. I mean, after I read that book, I'll go to the next book. But every night before I go to bed, I read a few chapters in the novel. Usually it's a thriller because that's what I write. And again, that's my time to relax and unwind at night. So then, tell me about a cup full of crazy. Like, I want to know all about it because it sounds like mm-hmm. it's good. <laughs> Well, A Couple of Crazy is actually a, a psychological thriller slash horror, horror movie, and it deals with mental health, mental illness, um, and it deals with the, uh, the lead character, Angela Rodriguez. She's an uh, Oscar-winning screenwriter uh, <clears throat> who had a nervous breakdown like a year prior, and now she's trying to come back and get her life together. She goes to a therapist. She's on medication for PTSD and depression and anxiety. Uh, because of the event that happened the year the year before, but I don't want to tell what happened. I didn't see the movie for that. <laughs> um, and she's trying to write this new script. It's a thriller, and she's trying to write this script and get her life back together and everything. The thing that's weird about the script is uh, her life is that the stuff that's actually happening in the script starts happening to her in her life. So people in the audience who's looking at it don't understand, they don't know if she's crazy, like she's just having this meltdown from the psychosis that she's dealing with, or if it's like actually true, just somebody stalking her. So throughout this this, this, screen, this, this movie, people are going to have to sit there and really pay attention to figure out, is she crazy having a meltdown, or is somebody really stalking her and trying to hurt her? That's the script. Ooh. <laughs> I, look, I need to see this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know you're in pre-production. So when do you think right. you're going to start filming for it? And when do you see it coming out? Well, we're going to do a sizzle reel um, in a, April, May. At the end of May, we're going to start filming a sizzle reel. Uh, you know, the sizzle reel is just for people to get excited about it. We put it on the movie website and everything. They'll get all excited about it and want to go see it. And then we actually start actual production the end of August. And, um, you know, we'll film it, we'll edit it. And then the people, again, let me explain, people don't understand how long it takes for a movie to come out. They, feel, they think you film it and then it comes out. No, you have to, especially for independent filmmakers. They once you film it and you edit it, which takes a while, put the music and all that to it, then you have to go to the, the film festivals uh, circuit. That takes like a year, maybe two years. Um, you're going to all these different film festivals, people are looking at your movie, giving you awards, and you're meeting distributors and all that's how it usually works. And then, you know, then after that time, they usually pick up the film. Like, I'm still on the circuit now with a sense of public side of our life. I'm almost done, thank goodness, because it's a long run. Um, and then, you know, this year we'll get a deal for that, uh, that film, but I finished this film in 2017, and I'm, I'm still doing the circuit, the film right. festival circuit. Um, you know, won a lot of awards. We're, we were up for some more awards coming up. We have a limited screening, a limited theater run in New York in April. Um, we'll be running this for like five days at a theater in New York. So it's going to be a red carpet event on April 25th. So that's going to be pretty cool. Get all the actors and all coming together. And, um, you know, it should be a good time. You get dressed up, walk the red carpet, and do a Q&A with the actors and director and producers. Okay, so also tell us where this is being held in New York. Well, it's going to be held at the uh, Stewart Cinema and Cafe. Emily Stewart is the owner of it. And part of the October Film Festival, I won in October of 2018. My film won Best Film. 
part of the package of winning is that she gives you, I'm going to give you this four or five day run at her theater for free. You don't have to put money up to rent the theater. Um, she does it all for free. And then you keep all the, the filmmaker like myself, keep all the proceeds from those four or five days. She gives you all the proceeds. That's a way of trying to help um, distributors get a distribution deal. Yes, and if y'all missed it, we actually interviewed Emmalyn goes back, so you can actually listen in on how Mm -hmm. it works, and I am actually going to try to come to when you do your um, screening, so I'm going to try to be there. Oh, okay, you coming to the April event? Yes, I'm going to try to be there. Uh, Yay, that'll be great, that'll be great. So I'm actually really looking forward to that and I'm really excited and I love how she does that because it's such a benefit. Like I think it's such a benefit to us as filmmakers. So I'm glad that you're able to do that. And also congratulations on winning. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Cause a lot of people entered and um, you know, it's always a good thing to think you feel, you feel validated that you, you won out of all these filmmakers. There's a lot of different great films in the festivals and, your pick out of all these festivals it's a it's an it's an honor it really is so what is like next for you what what do you see yourself doing like what is your i guess your end goal as a filmmaker like i said my end goal is to have a studio in philadelphia i want to be the first african-american female to have own own my own film studio an in-house studio again that means i just produce what i write (laughs) And um, that's no one's done that in Philadelphia, and I I want to be that, that 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 person to do that. But in the meantime, as I'm trying to get that together, continue to do films that I feel as though are beneficial, like I say, entertaining, but also educational. You know, I want people to be learn, to walk away learning something from the film, but also entertaining for the. But I want them to think. I want them to think about, you know, the messages that are in in the film. I think that's important. I think so too. Absolutely. So do you have any last words, any feedback that you want to give women who may have already started on their filmmaking journey, anything that you want to tell them to guide them on their way? Well, a couple of things. I want, I want women to understand that they definitely need a mentor. If they don't have one, if they never have one, they should get one. Um, that's invaluable. I had a, my, my mentor was the bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal. And the lessons he bestowed upon me was invaluable, how he helped me craft my, not only my work as a writer, but myself personally, to go out and be able to speak professionally, to be able to interact with people who um, have money. Because, <laughs> you know, you're a filmmaker, you're trying to get money. Uh, you know, normally people who have money, you have to step to them correctly. If not, they just think you're image, like you're amateur and they won't give you uh, time of day. So you need to get that part right away and I'm not sure it will help you do that and, and and also we need to learn the business side a lot of things I did wrong in the beginning of my career is I did not know the business side I did not know what you need to do to actually get your your writing to an agent or to get your film to a distributor I didn't know any of that stuff I learned the hard way um, but they need to learn that part they don't a lot of people don't want to do that part because it's not the creative side mm-hmm. But you have to learn that in order to to know what you got to do to get a deal, uh, or your script sold. You you have you have to you have to do the business side. If you don't, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. You're gonna lose a lot of money, and it's just not worth it. Just learn again, learn your craft, but on the business side as well. That's some really good advice because I definitely agree with you. 
women in film making usually do not want to know the business side and then we're mm-hmm. because we're ignorant then we don't succeed so thank you so much for saying that mm-hmm, definitely i mean like i said i learned i learned the hard way um made so many mistakes because i didn't have the business side I, I just didn't know um how important that was but like you said a lot of women don't want to do that we don't want that to happen um get dirty that's that's what i call it get dirty because it is a lot it's rough it's, when you deal with people who have money you deal with investors you deal with distributors you deal with actors you deal with any of your crew you you have to be able to get dirty get in and get dirty and, and and stay in your ground no matter if you're a woman you know if you're a woman it doesn't matter um be firm i'm not saying you have to be uh, you know um aggressive about it but you have to be assertive you have to stay in your ground i do i mean most of the time i'm on a set with most men that will change with a couple of crazy I decided to do the inclusion which a lot of Hollywood actors are doing now inclusion at you know 50% at least 50% of your crew will be female and of color so I definitely would do that with a couple of crazy and I can't wait to see it so I definitely will keep my eye out for that and also before we jump off the air please let Mm -hmm. people know how they are able to connect with you collaborate with you and even hire you if you're legit and really want to get your script looked at. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, they can just go to J, you know, com. That's my website, but it's also, they can contact me through that. Um, and I do have script services on there if, if people are interested in that. Um, but, you know, they, they got to come correct, you know. I'm not just in it for the money. If I see a script that's really not well done, I, I won't take the I won't take that person on just to get their money. I'll just send it back to them and say you you have a lot of work to do. Because um, I want to be fair to people. I want to be honest with people. So jbullockenterprises.com. All right. So everyone, you know the drill. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go live those filmmaking dreams. And until mm-hmm. next time, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing you at the, the red carpet event. <laughs>